let me read that uh, for us. Colossians 1, 15 um, to 23. After I read, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to delve right in into our sermon uh, this morning. Colossians 1, 15 to 23. <clears throat> he is, that is Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, Stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Well, let me pray for us as we open God's word together. Heavenly Father, God, thank you and praise you so very much for your goodness to us in the gospel. Thank you for the joy that it is this morning that we are able to look solely on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father God, be with us as we do. May, may this text, through your spirit, change our hearts and move us on as we desire more um, in Christ. We pray these things in your mighty name. Amen. Well, as I've said, please do keep your Bibles open uh, to that passage, that extraordinary uh, passage. It, it is a passage that, if we had the time, could take up several sermons worth of material. It is rich. The language is full, quite literally. Full is, is in the language more than anything else. It, 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 it's extreme, it is uncompromising, and it is all concerning one person and one person only, and that is Jesus Christ. And that is where we started last week. If you remember, in looking um, at our series in Colossians, we started with Christ, and mainly with the Apostle Paul's encouragement of the Colossian Christians that they are the real deal in Christ. You see, this church, if you remember, is in this big city, small and fragile, but it is vibrant and it is keen. And in their keenness and in the situations that they find themselves in, where, where vibrancy and progress are all around them, they may be questioning if they really are the real deal when everyone around them is seemingly doing so much better when they're not progressing in the Christian life as they feel there should be. They, they may be questioning whether they've got the Christian life right at all, if it's so hard. And so rightly, in some ways, they are wanting more of the Christian life. They have a desire for more spiritual wisdom, for greater insight, for, for something extra, that, 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 that X factor that will make them feel stronger and more assured and more at ease in this impressive city around them. And Paul says, that's actually not a bad thing. And we get that from the prayer that Paul prays for them. That's what we saw last week at the end of our last passage. Paul says, I pray that you would have more Colossian Christians. I pray that you would be filled with all knowledge of God's will 
so that you can be equipped to withstand your surroundings. And verse 11 of chapter 1 from last week's passage, that you can persevere to the very end in the middle of your secular stroke pagan, stroke materialistic society. I do pray that your spiritual life would be enriched, that you would know and experience more in this world. But, says Paul, be really careful. Because in your search for more, don't go to the teaching and plausible lies and, and the spiritual but empty philosophies of the world for your increased spiritual fervor. That's what we see in chapter 2, verse 8. See to it, says Paul, that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. Don't go outside for spiritual growth and a spiritual shot in the arm, in other words, because it will be very attractive for you to do that. Rather, says Paul, stay rooted in Christ, grow in him. That's how you are going to get more in your Christian faith. That's how you're going to feel stronger, more assured. You are already the real deal. Dig deeper into what you already have. You see, as we go over the course of this book uh, together, Paul is mainly warning the keen Christian who is itching to move on in some way. There are other books that talk about the lazy Christian or the hedonistic Christian. Well, Colossians is dealing with the real deal Christian who is getting really itchy feet and who is beginning to look elsewhere for spiritual growth and for spiritual answers. And as this book details, there are many people who are offering a lot of spiritual growth. We're going to see that in chapter two in a few weeks time. There are, if you like, a lot of spiritual salesmen around. Desperate to sell a keen, unwise, soft-hearted Christian a lot of spiritual things. Now, you can kind of imagine what these salesmen might look like and what they sound like, the questions that they would ask. Um, good morning, sir. Are you entirely happy with your Christian life? Is, is it giving you what it promised? Because if you're not happy and if it doesn't seem to be giving you what you promised, well, I think I might have just the thing for you, sir. You know, a, a little something to, to, to move you on a bit. Just, just have a look in my suitcase. And the keen, unwise, soft-hearted Christian may be genuinely tempted by what is in the salesman's suitcase. Deeper spirituality, perhaps. Increased sense of peace. More knowledge. Better assurance. Who wouldn't want all of those things as a Christian? And they sound so very Christian. Well, this letter is, is Paul's encouragement to the church not to be taken in by these peddlers of deep spiritualism. And in the whole of the letter, his method in encouraging this keen church away from these people, from these false spiritual teachers, is to massively outflank them. And he started that last week. That's what he was doing last week in verses 9 to 14, if you remember. Point two of last week's sermon was all about outflanking and outsmarting the, the spiritual salesman, Paul says, so we pray, remember the repeated tone, that you'll be filled with all spiritual wisdom, so as to walk how much in a manner worthy of the king of the universe, how pleasing to him, fully pleasing to him, and bearing how much fruit, or bearing fruit in every good work, and strengthened with how much power, oh, 
all power according to his glorious might for endurance and patience and joy. How much endurance? All endurance, patience and joy, you see? Do you hear that? Full, fullness, fully filled, all, every, everything. Can you see the, 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 the sales patter that Paul is trying to outflank? I can give you more, says the salesman. I can give you more power, more endurance, more spiritual reality. It's just here in my suitcase. And Paul says, no, not at all. What I want to do is to show you that no matter what comes out of the salesman's suitcase that you already have something better inside you. You already have everything in Christ, already more than you could ever be offered. And that brings us to our first point this morning. For if Paul is wanting to outflank the spiritual salesman, if he's wanting us to be convinced that Christ is enough to give us everything we need, well, he needs to start off explaining who Christ is and exactly what he offers. And boy, does he do that today in our passage. And as Paul explains just how big Christ is, so he really doubles down on his wanting to outflank the religious spiritual salesman. Point one, therefore, Paul tells the Colossian Christian that Christ is everything. Point one, Christ is everything. Just read with me again, verses 15 to 22. And as you do, notice that we are reading a massive list. And in this list, as we looked at last week, we have the bulk of our in Christ, for Christ, in him language. In fact, every single sentence starts with he is, or by him, or in him. Let's read this again. Verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. These verses are saturated and solely preoccupied with Christ. And the summary of who Christ is in verse nine is in verse 19. Verse 19 is really important. This is the summary of who Christ is. For in him, in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. You see, the, 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 the Colossian Christian, if you like, is looking for fullness. But be careful, says Paul, you're being sold a con if it's coming from the world. If you have Jesus, you have all the fullness of God. You have everything. And what does everything look like? What is the first bit of everything that Christ has that Paul wants us to know? Well, the first one, this is subpoint A, if you like, the first one, the bit of everything is creation. Verses 15 to 17, this universe that God has made, creation is all in Christ. Now, it's a good question to ask. Where does Jesus stand in relation to all of creation? 
He is physical. He becomes a man. So you might think that he is a part of creation that, that produced him. But Paul says that's not true. Verse 15, Paul says Jesus is the image of something invisible. So when you look at Jesus, you see the invisible God. Therefore, he's not a part of creation in the same way that we are. He is, in fact, the firstborn of all creation. Now, what does that mean? Well, that's much like, I suppose, Prince Charles or Prince William. They are royally firstborn, born to be king, first in importance in the country and total authority. In the same way, Jesus is firstborn ruler of creation. You see, as someone once said that there are only two uh, distinctions in science that really matter, and that is the distinction between created things on one side and the creator on the other. Those are the two greatest, that's the big greatest difference in our creation, the big distinction between the creature and the creator. So, verse 16, by by, um, this uncreated being were all things created. Jesus is on the side of God. And everything else is on the other side. The the stuff that he has made. Is it in heaven? Well, then he made it, if that thing is in heaven. Is it on earth? Well, he made that as well. Is it visible? He made that. Is it invisible? Well, he made that too. Is it powerful? So thrones and dominions on earth. Well, he made them. Is it spiritually powerful? That's what rulers and authorities mean. Well, Jesus made them too. But he didn't just make all that stuff. Look at the end of verse 16. All things were created through him, but also all things were created for him. You see, you can get exquisite artisans who create beautiful things. But quite often they are for other people, aren't they? Think of the Savile Row tailor making the most beautiful suits with love and care and attention, but but all for other people. They are tailored to fit others. They are for other people, not for the tailor. Well, that's not like Jesus. Jesus is more like, if you will, the, 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 the violin maker, a maker of beautiful violins. But not only is he an excellent craftsman, he's also a brilliant virtuoso musician. And the violin he makes is the violin that he plays. It is made by him and it is made for him. As many of you know, I grew up in West Wales and that's where I learnt uh, to play the violin. And there's a beautiful phrase in Welsh that concerns the playing of a violin specifically. It's a quirk of the Welsh language. You see, in, in, in Welsh, you can say, I, I play the piano, or I play the flute, or I play the guitar. Rydwi'n chwarae piano. But for the violin, you would say, Rydwi'n canir fiddle. I sing the violin. You see, the Welsh recognise that the violin becomes a part of you. It becomes an extension of your arm. It's it's built to fit your body. You quite literally embrace it. And that's what Jesus is like with his creation. The violin he expertly makes is the violin that he expertly plays or sings. It becomes a part of him. He, He breathes life into it. 
The violin is nothing without the master craftsman making it and fitting it to himself, making it sing, making it live. Without him, the, the, the violin is dead and lifeless. That's what Jesus is to his creation. He makes it for himself, and he makes creation live as a consequence, as it becomes a part of him. Verse 17, all creation is held together in him, singing alive because of him. Everything in creation was made for him to use and own and enjoy. He came first, and he holds it all together. And that is not a selfish thing. It's a beautiful thing. As he gives his creation, as he gives us life, he makes us sing. He makes us really live for his pleasure. Isn't that incredible? What an incredible purpose humanity and creation has, if that's the case. So how can anyone possibly offer anything that is not bettered by Jesus? What could he possibly give that Jesus doesn't give? Literally nothing. If Jesus makes it and owns it and holds it all together, making it literally sing and lives as he lives, the spiritual salesman has diddly squat. You see, this is just the kind of universe that we live in. Everything requires Jesus for it to continue to exist. This building, my, my hands, the, the breath I'm using to speak these sentences, the, the light that is blasted through fiber optic cable that allows you to see me this morning. Without Jesus being Jesus, alive and supreme, holding and spinning every atom purely by the power of his will, well, then we're done for. Because everything is created by him, and everything is created for him, and everything is held together in him. In terms of creation, Jesus is everything. That's our first bit of everything that, that Paul wants us to see. Jesus is everything, point one, first of all, over creation. Secondly, however, Paul moves us on from creation now to creation new. Secondly, Jesus is everything over the new creation. And we read this in verses 18 to 20. Now, these verses actually talk about the church. And with that one sentence, we might fall into a bit of a stupor and think, OK, that's great. But that's not as exciting as creation. The church, we think, is a bit boring. It's a bit small. It's broadly unexciting. And Paul says we are wrong in that. For in verses 18 to 20, he says something truly remarkable. He says this. He says that the church now, the people who believe in Jesus, who make up the church, they are the foretaste of the future new world that God will make. The new creation. And more than that, the people who make up the church now are the only things that make it across from this creation to the next one. And here, too, in this new realm, is Jesus everything. It says in verse 18, the church is his body and he is the head. He's the brains, in other words. He's in charge. He got there first, we read. The first one raised from the dead. That means he's king here, too. The firstborn here as well in this new creation. So that, end of verse 18, in everything, he might be preeminent. Meaning in everything, even in this new other creation, he is first. 
He is first into this new world as the first risen man, and he is everything needed for other humans to get to where he is. Christ is everything. And so verse 20, when peace is made, that means when sinners are brought to forgiveness by him and are now at peace with him, and when justice is done as those who are evil are judged and dealt with, everything will be reconciled to Jesus. There will be no one not at peace with Jesus. There will be no one not having been judged by Jesus and put right by him. There will be no separate corner of heaven for the bits that are not under Jesus. It will all be at peace with Jesus. Now, can you see what Paul has done here? That Jesus is the creator of this creation and of the next, that it all goes through him, the fact that he is everything, well, that makes it so very easy to apply to this church in Colossae. To the spiritual salesman who is offering this small group of believers more, this seemingly small, fragile, and useless church in the eyes of the world who look like they need more, frankly, more spirituality, more wisdom, more depth, more vitality, more meaning in life. Well, all of what these people offer to this church already belongs to and is found in Jesus Christ. Paul is massively outflanking the salesman. Now, let me just give you an example of what that looks like in real life in practice for us today, because we're not in Colossae, but we, we are alive today. So what does this mean for us? This is genuinely, as far as I can remember it, the main parts of a conversation I had about six or seven years ago with a mature student at Edinburgh CU who was enormously into spirituality and was desperately trying to convince me that there was so much more that I was not tapping into as a mere Christian. And he really did say the most remarkable things. And I promise you, these are some of the words that he used. In our conversation about the gospel after a gospel talk that I had done, he said, oh, that was all very interesting, but it's not for me. I'm into a really deep spiritual reality that I really am only just beginning to comprehend after decades of learning and study. And it's exhilarating. And I'd love to introduce it to you. Oh, I said, it sounds like you're talking about Jesus. And then he said, good, good grief, no, I'm not, I'm not talking about Jesus. I, I'm into astonishingly deep spiritual insights, the kind of cosmos deep thinking that would, that would keep you awake at night. And I said, yes, yeah, it, it sounds like you're, you're, you're really into Jesus. And he said, no, no, getting really annoyed. No, I'm, I'm not into, into organised religion. I'm not into all that boring stuff. That's nothing compared to what I'm into. I'm into a whole dimensional, cross-dimensional, beyond time and space kind of reality, and, and yet involving every atom and all matter. It's both existential and, and living as much as it is both new and ancient. It is, is inter intersecting time and space. And I'm not kidding, he said the following words. And it's both, it's both visible and invisible at the same time. And I said, yes. <laughs> I understand, I promise you I do, I promise you that you're actually into Jesus without you knowing it. That's who and what Jesus is. He is literally all of those things. I, I promise you, you have nothing to offer me. You see, this, this guy couldn't un, outdo Jesus. 
I said to this poor frustrated student who was annoyed that I was a little bit nonplussed by all this, I said to him, I promise you I have everything you're searching for and more. All the wisdom and insight you are rightly craving, it's all found in Jesus. You're right. All that stuff is out there, but it's all found in Jesus. Jesus is not the boring, dead, ancient teacher who merely said nice things. He is literally the spiritual breath that holds all the atoms of the universe in place whilst enacting a plan in the material world for the rest of eternity, whilst being visible and invisible. I promise you you're searching for Jesus, I said to him. Read Colossians 1 with me. You see, the world, parts of the church even, the well-meaning, genuinely diligent searchers of truth will claim to be able to give you more than what you've got. But you, says Paul, can turn back to them and say, thank you, but I really do have everything in Christ. You see, these conversations, like the one I had with that student, shouldn't shock us or shake us. Because we don't need more of anything because we already have Jesus and Jesus is everything. So to the spiritualist who will offer deeper spiritual reality, I say, oh, I already inhabit the deepest spiritual reality known to humanity because I have Christ and Christ is over that. To the materialist who will offer greater wealth, I say, oh, I have the, I have the deepest well of riches and fortunes that you could dream of because I have Christ and he owns the universe. To the intellectual who will offer increased wisdom and knowledge, I say, I, I have the deepest knowledge of the cosmos and of its reason for being, and its trajectory, because I have Christ. To the religious who will offer some kind of new way of salvation, I say, oh, thank you, but but I have the deepest, most full understanding of salvation and freedom and spiritual release and cleanness and oneness that humanity could ever search for, because I have Christ. I promise you, false teachers of Colossae, I promise you, captains of industry today, heads of the intelligentsia, the media, health healers, you have nothing to give me. There is literally nothing more I need because I have everything in Christ. So far, Paul has been talking about the universe and everything. But now look on to verse 21. For now he moves on from the universe and everything and turns to talk about you. Verse 21, and you. You see, because this is true about Jesus, because Jesus is everything, you have moved location, Christian. Verse 21, you once were God's enemy, and Jesus has, verse 22, reconciled you, making peace between you and God, in order, verse 22, to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. There is your past that you were dead in, as we read in Ephesians, very similar to this passage. Here is your present that you are saved in, and here is your future. And by the end of this creation, if you believe in Jesus, you will stand holy and blameless and above reproach before this Christ. You see, what can possibly be, what can there possibly be that you can be given if you have all of this in Christ? What more can be offered to you? Which makes the first word in verse 23 the most shocking word in the whole of the letter. And it really jars on us a little bit in all of this. And that word is if. Jesus is everything, 
And you have this future if you continue in him, if you don't shift from this hope in the gospel, if you don't buy from the salesman's suitcase. And that brings us to the second point this morning. First point, Christ is everything over creation, over new creation. Second point, so then don't move an inch. You see, the the keen, soft-hearted Christian wants more knowledge, wants to be more pleasing to God, wants more spiritual power, endurance, and joy. But Paul shockingly says that if you buy the false teacher's lies, if you buy from the, uh, the spiritual salesman's suitcase, you really could ironically lose everything that you think you're trying to find. You see, it's not just moving into your life any sort of inconvenient teaching which annoys you. Paul actually says here in Colossians that in listening to the lies of the world, which offer more, in terms of, and in terms of Colossians, listening to the lies of those who want to make your Christian life more than what Christ offers, even wrapped up in the Christianese language that it might come with, giving into that kind of teaching, fully giving over to it, well, it's, it's more like moving in your mistress, and, and so your wife has to move out. This is really serious, says Paul. Continue in the faith, says Paul, in Christ. Continue, says Paul, in the gospel as you have been taught. Don't move away from Jesus. So we really should be much more on our guard when people come selling us religious and spiritual ideas. And we think we might be on our guard when that happens, but, but I think we'd be shocked at some of the things that we would be given over to. We're very much on our guard, aren't we, when we, someone comes up to us with negative attacks on Christianity, for example. If someone were to come up to us and say, oh, the resurrection is impossible, or the Gospels contradict each other, or science disproves God, well, then we'll jump into action. We've done a lot of that. We've done a lot of that work in our apologetics training already last term as a church, and we will this term, and we know there are answers to those, and we know what those answers are, and our alarm bells ring, and we put in a robust defense of the Gospel, and that's absolutely everything we should be doing. That's wonderful. And indeed, if those are your questions here this morning, then ask them of us. We have a number of Q&A sessions after our services on Sunday mornings. We'd love to answer them for you. It's right that we do. However, if someone comes up to us with a big smile, who, who has some kind of long Christian lineage behind them, and offers us to improve our Christian life experientially beyond what I feel and experience now, to give us a deeper spiritual reality and a deeper understanding than I already have, well, what is not to like about that? My God really can completely drop at that moment, especially if I seem to think that they are doing so much better than I am. Now, again, listen carefully. It is very, very good to want more in the Christian life. We've said that a lot. And to see that, we go back to our key verses, chapters, chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. That was what we looked at last week. Our key verses for the book, they are all about growth, walking further, growing more, being more rooted. They're all about growth, but they're all about growth in Jesus, like a rooted plant drilling down into the foundation that it already has. The rooted plant doesn't uproot itself and look for, to, to plant itself in another field. It grows strong where it is, or like an established building built on and in faith in Christ Jesus, on those foundations, immovable. It's good to want more in the Christian life. 
It's good to want to be a better prayer, a better studier of God's word, to be a more assured Christian, to to worry less, to be more spiritually minded about decisions, to want to battle sin more, to grow in all these areas, especially in the areas where we feel we let Jesus down. And we're going to see the practical outworkings of those areas in our lives that we want to grow in later on in this letter. However, that kind of more in the Christian life can only come out of Christ, not out of something else that seems to offer a deeper, different spirituality. So I think we really should be starting to build up in us a whole new instinct, Redeemer Church. Whenever someone says to us, oh, this will help you know God, I promise you this will help you battle sin. You'll never struggle with sin again. This will help you fight the Christian life. I think it would be really good for us to be trained to ask the following questions. First question, is what is being offered to you Jesus? Is it Jesus I'm being offered? Is it biblical? Is it real? If so, then go for it. And there is a lot of stuff out there which is absolutely excellent. Second question to ask, do I already have this in Jesus? In which case you shouldn't pay for it. Thirdly, would it reduce Jesus to accept this? In accepting this thing, am I saying that Jesus wasn't enough and this is an addendum I have to keep putting into my life every single day, an activity or a book that I need to be reading? Fourth and lastly, is this going to move me away from Jesus if I accept this? If, is, is Jesus not really anywhere near what this person is offering? Will I lose everything? The problem is, if we don't answer those questions diligently, there we end up where some of my Christian friends have heartbreakingly ended up. Where they say things like, I used to be like you, but I've moved on. I've matured and I've grown up and there is more out there than Jesus. Jesus is great, but there is so much more. We've got, we, we live in a broad church. You see, as we've noticed, we're not talking about hedonism here in in Colossians. We're not talking about rampant sinfulness or unmitigated disobedience. We're talking about the slow ebb away from Jesus as other spiritual gods take my heart away from him. I was hearing from an old friend of mine the other day who I haven't spoken to for a while, someone who used to say that Jesus was everything. He will now say in his ministry... Oh, the, the, the church is a much broader church, Sam, much broader than I thought it was. And I feel there is much better spiritual insight to be gained for me now that I've seen other interpretations of the Bible. I'm brought into a bigger family where we don't need to agree on the atonement exactly or on the resurrection of Jesus. I'm, I'm growing beyond where I was. I feel much more spiritually integrated into the world around me than I ever did. And, and, and isn't that a wonderful thing? It really isn't, says Paul. It's really not a very wonderful thing. And I really worry for my friend. Don't be conned in your keenness by religious-like spirituality that would draw you away from Christ. Stay rooted in him. Continue, verse 23, in the faith, the faith in Christ, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you rightly heard. From that reliable source. You need nothing else. You have everything. Don't give it up. Well, where does that leave us this morning? 
Well, it shouldn't leave us panicking. It should leave us rejoicing. We have everything in Christ. Everything. We can't possibly read this extraordinary part of Scripture and not be excited. I am in this Christ, and this Christ is in me, and I am the real deal, and I have everything as a consequence. Praise God. He's going to get me through to the end. I'm the real deal. However, there are two questions that we must finish on, especially for those of you with us this morning who, who maybe don't call yourselves Christians or you're not a follower of Jesus. And the first one is this. Is this all not supremely arrogant? To have anyone claim to be the be-all and end-all of knowledge, wisdom, power, authority, history, creation, and the future, and the initiation, propagation, and termination of all that we know, surely that is the height of arrogance. And is that not the principal problem with organized religion? Well, two things to say to that. One, it is only arrogant if it isn't true. Usain Bolt can, at the height of his power, legitimately say he is the fastest known human on the planet and the most decorated sprinter in the world. That's true. He can say that in an arrogant way, but it doesn't stop it from being true. The Bible, the Word of God, shows us how what Jesus claims here is true. And I'd love to chat to any of you about that. How the Bible is a verifiable, true, historically accurate account of real history. How Jesus really rose from the death in, in a proof-riddled act, proving that he was God. How everything we think, feel, and do is tied into how Christ has made the world. It is just true that Jesus is everything. That he is everything that he has said here in these verses today. As I say, please do come back to me on that. That's a big thing. Email me. I'd love to chat to you further. So it's not arrogant of Jesus to claim all this if it's true, and it is true. However, secondly, unlike perhaps the arrogant personality of the supreme runner, Usain Bolt, Jesus displays his cosmic power and his preeminence in the most unarrogant way you could possibly imagine. And that brings us on to our second and our last question this morning. What on earth is this almighty, powerful, preeminent, firstborn creator of the visible and the invisible, who is God and king and ruler over the known and unknown universe, doing, dying on a cross? Have you considered that? For that is what hits hard right at the end of this passage. Verse 21, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in, of all things, his body of flesh. By, of all things, his death. Through, of all things, verse 20, the giving of his blood on a cross. Well, there is the crux of the gospel. And there is the heart of Paul's argument. If you are tempted to go anywhere else for your spiritual pick-me-ups, for your desire for deeper spirituality and enlightenment, just remember what this preeminent creator of the universe did for you. He put on flesh. He died for your body and soul in order that you may be united in him and with him for eternity. Jesus is not the dirty salesman. He is the supreme, mighty, holy rescuer, and he rescued you to eternal, deep spiritual life as he loved you to death. No other salesman can offer you that. 
Don't move from him, therefore, says Paul. Be rooted in that preeminent Christ, the mighty, um, humble servant who is not arrogant, but who gave himself up for you. For not only is Christ everything, not only did he make everything, not only does he hold everything, not only will he reconcile everything, and not only does he rule over everything, but he will give up everything so that you may receive in him everything. You see, as we close... For those of you, for those of us who are, who are struggling Christians, perhaps, struggling in assurance, struggling in perseverance, in godliness, in trust in Jesus, in our battles with sin, those of us who are exhausted and burnt out and really hurting, know this, says Paul, you have everything in Christ. Do not be taken in by the spiritual salesman. Be rooted in Christ. Pray more to him. Ask for more of him. Delve deeper into him. He is desperate to give you more. For those of you who are doing well, well, to us is the warning. Am I tempted to look elsewhere for more, for more spiritual encouragement, for better spiritual wisdom, for more outside of Christ? Am I more concerned about intricate discussions on theology that speak to my perceived ideas of high wisdom, of of deep spiritual reality? Am I following quasi-Christian trains of thought and postmodern Christian thinkers and and, uh, all the next exciting spiritual movements that, that use Christ to sort of tap into the virtues of the world that are being signaled at? Am I following people and teaching that will lead me beyond the Bible, away from church, away from godliness, ultimately away from Jesus? And on that, can you see why the church was built to be bodily together? As we head into the next three weeks of beginning to implement our plans for reopening, can you see how important it is that we are protecting ourselves by seeing each other weekly, directly directly asking ourselves these questions, asking the questions that the Bible asks, discipling each other face to face, living life on life again as much as we safely can. The church was designed to bodily meet together because it protects us in the world. It doesn't keep us away from the world. It protects us as we go into the world. And it keeps us in Christ's body, which is the church. Lastly, however, for those of you who aren't Christians here this morning, well, very simply, can you see what you're missing? You're missing out on having the master plans of the universe. You're missing out on knowing the one who created you and keeps you alive every moment and desires you to know him today in order that you may reign with him in eternity. All he asks is that you choose him as not just Lord of creation, but Lord of your life and of your salvation through repentance of sin and a desire to follow him. And that really is a personal choice that you have to make. And even if you're not convinced by what has been said today, you have to admit that it is astonishing what I have said today. Or rather, it is astonishing what the Bible has said today. It has to be investigated, surely to goodness. You cannot leave here this morning as a thinking adult and not look into this Jesus who claims to hold creation together and who claims to give you the power to be in relationship with him for eternity. As I say, if you want to know more, please do talk to me. 
Or talk to your Christian friends who maybe have invited you today. I would love to chat to you about this. But Redeemer, to us, we are going through Colossians because in a world where the church is small, where Christ is a swear word, where spirituality and otherness and freedom is the language de jour, mixed with the correct desire to want to be better than we are in our Christian walk, especially in these days of death and recession and lockdown where we become stagnant and weak and isolated, perhaps listening to all kinds of spiritual things online, the, the helpful and the unhelpful, now is the time to remember that we need not move anywhere to become stronger Christians in this world than moving deeper into what we already have in Christ. And my prayer for us all is that Christ is very much who we move more into as we walk with him this term and become more rooted in him, having already been given everything through him. Well, let me pray for us as we close. Heavenly Father, God, thank you and praise you for, again, your goodness to us in the gospel. Almighty God, thank you so much for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that he is all these things that we have read about today. Thank you that he is preeminent, that he is first, that he is the firstborn, that he rules, that he reigns, that he is risen, that he is all knowledge, all matter, everything that is invisible and everything that has been and everything that will be. Father God, we pray very much for us as a church, as Christians, as individuals, as a fellowship, as a family, that you would really protect us. Please, Father, protect us from being taken out by rampant sin, but please also protect us from being taken out by spirituality, which will make us weak, that is of the world and not of Christ. Help us, Father God, to delve deeper into the gospel, the gospel of the Lord Jesus and into Jesus Christ, in whom we have absolutely everything we need for life, for perseverance, and for godliness. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you have us. Thank you that you have promised you will keep us. Thank you that we will persevere in you. Thank you that you will never let us go. Thank you that you will bring us all the way through to the end, in your body, through your blood, and through your resurrection, until we do see you face to face in the new creation. Father God, may that spur us on today to love you more, to love each other more, and to love the lost more as we speak to them more about you. We pray all these things with great thanksgiving in your mighty name. Amen.